You know, as we sing that song, I, I think, wow, what a genuine faith that Christ Jesus has brought us unto uh, with the Father, and that God the Father has so graciously called us into this genuine faith. And I begin to think about you in, in the midst of that and thinking, you know, God, there are many who are here today that they woke up and they just couldn't wait to get here. They were excited. Um, they were prepared. They've, they've met with you in prayer. Uh, they've, they've read your word this morning. They've greatly benefited from this genuine, true relationship. And then I thought, but there's another half, or I don't know if it's half in the room or where you may be, that you maybe weren't looking forward to coming this morning. You were struggling. You, you've had a lot of things in your path this morning. Maybe the things that came forth from your lips would not be considered praise unto the Lord. Uh, but you are here. And I hope that that heart has changed as you're here and as you're singing, as you're worshiping the Lord, that you are indeed glad you're here. Or you may just find yourself somewhere in the middle. So wherever you are today, we, we just want to come and pray to the Lord and say, would you please just bring our focus unto your word? We so need your word because in your word do we find your will. And let's ask God's blessings on this time of study so that we will walk away strengthened and excited to go out into the world and bear the good news. So pray with me. Father, thank you for this time that we as the church can gather together. Thank you that Jesus came and died on a cross for our sins and that no longer do our sins stand in between us. Our sins have been cast away and we are free to meet with you. We are free to worship you. We are free to now choose what is good in your eyes. We have a faith that is indeed genuine a faith that works. And these works are for your glory. And these works also reveal that indeed what we have is a true faith. Father, where this could be muddied or confusing, will you bring clarity today so that we will be assured of this faith and we will follow in faithfulness. We ask this through the power of Jesus' name. May you work through the power of the Holy Spirit we thank you that we have this wonderful relationship with you, Father. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. And as you have a seat, you can turn to the book of James. As we did last week, we'll kind of read along this passage as we go uh, this morning. But we'll be in James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. As we always present this, and may we never forget to do this, if you do not have a Bible, uh, you can look in front of you and there's a pew Bible. If you will grab that, you can turn with us to page 1012 and you will be there at James chapter 2 and we'll start in verse 14. If you were with us last week, uh, we looked at fulfilling the royal law and how in the royal law is that we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And then we are to love others as we love ourselves. It is Jesus who established the royal law. And so there's no conflict when when James is saying fulfill the royal law, it doesn't mean that we go to law-based living in order to work towards the salvation, but that the royal law is actually 
freeing. It brings us into a wonderful relationship with God that we can now love him. And now we can truly love people with the greatest love possible that comes from Jesus. And so he says, fulfill the royal law. Let it be true. Let it be genuine. Let it be seen in you. And it then led to encouraging us and warning us not to show favoritism. And so we said that everyone here, no matter what you do, no matter what background you come from, you are welcome here. We're glad that you're here. Whatever your job is, it does not make you better than someone else. Whatever your gifts are, it doesn't make you better than someone else. But yet it puts us in our right place before God the Father, that we all need him and that we were all poor and needy until he came to us and made us his children through Christ. This week, we are looking at James 2, 14 through 26. And if you're taking notes, you'll write at the top, faith that works. What he's presenting to us is a faith that works. Okay, it is, is a real genuine faith. So it does work. And because it's genuine, it does work. It produces good work. So that's what we're looking at this morning. I hope that you'll take a few notes as you're here and the first point that we're looking at today is what good is your faith if you do not have works? Before we get to the passage, there are many gadgets that you can purchase today um, and through means of Amazon and, and other methods online or going into a store. Uh, now what seems popular is the toothbrush that has the charcoal bristles uh, that are to whiten your teeth. Uh, you can actually use charcoal uh, powder. And I don't know what else is involved in this, but it turns your teeth black, but then it's guaranteed to turn your teeth white. And so I would definitely read the reviews before you go any further on that one. But then there's also uh, gadgets like a nose trimmer. That's right, I said nose trimmer. And you say, why would you mention nose trimmer at this point? Because as you grow older, there are certain ones of us who may be interested in that. And it's, it is what it is. But it is important that you read the reviews before purchasing a nose trimmer because if you were to read the reviews and it were to say that, um, you know, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, as soon as you take it out of the package, uh, it works, it's powerful, it's strong, and, and it helps you breathe 50% better. And, and you go, yeah, yeah, I need that. I really need that. That would be good. And no embarrassing moments when you go in public. Yeah, okay, I think I'll purchase that. Or it could say, hey, a warning, it causes irritation, bloody noses. Uh, and then you could hear one story where a person would say, hey, I took it out of the package. I started to use this and all of a sudden it cut off in mid usage, making it a glorified tweezer, <laughs> pulling it out. Once you hear that, you're thinking, man, I don't think I wanna buy that product. I think I'll stick with tweezers. It's important that whatever you go to buy, whatever product you're seeking after, that it has good reviews, that it actually indeed works. It actually says it's going to do what it says it's going to do. And although it's a stretch to liken faith and works to a nose hair trimmer, I'm going to do my very best, I guarantee you. But when we see in this passage today, James is saying, your faith is to work. And in order for this to be seen as a genuine faith, there will indeed be works. And so let's look at number one. What good is your faith if you do not have works? Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, 
And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So what good is your faith if you do not have works? As he asked this question, he asked it this way, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Jesus asked a similar question when he was on the mountainside and he was meeting with disciples. In Matthew chapter five, verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And so in its proper context, James is writing to the church who used to be gathered together at Jerusalem. And they had a call to take the gospel throughout all of the world. And now persecution has come knocking at their door and they've had to spread out. And so as they've gone to all of these different places, this persecution has sent them into areas that they may have never gone to. And yet God is still good in the midst of their persecution. And he's sent them to these places to be salt of the earth, meaning that they can preserve, that they can bring something that is fresh and keeps things fresh. That's life eternal in Jesus Christ. So if they lose that saltiness, what good are they? You see, there are a lot of good things that can come from persecution. As we were just praying about the church in China, the gospel is spreading in China. The gospel is spreading in Africa. The gospel is spreading in South America right now. And yet I read articles about what's going on in the United States and we look and we go, hey, baptisms are at an all-time low. Church attendance is continuing to dip. There are many local churches. This was for Southern Baptist churches. There are many Southern Baptist churches in Georgia. Survey was done that almost half of the local churches do not see one single baptism a year. Not even one. Like that's almost half of the 3,600 Baptist churches that we have here in Georgia. And so you look at that and you go, oh man, Christianity's dying out, man. What's happened? No, Christianity's spreading. It's spreading rapidly in places where persecution is in effect. I mean, when you read stories like Jim Elliott, who went to share the gospel with a native tribe, and then they kill him, and then his wife goes to that same tribe to share the gospel, and the very man that killed him is the one who hears the gospel come forth from her lips, and he repents and follows Christ. It's amazing. So the blood of the martyrs acts as a seed for the gospel to continue to go forth. And James is telling this early church, he's saying, do not, do not quit. Just because you've been spread abroad and now the church is kind of in different locations, you take care of each other. This letter would circulate. It would go around to the different local churches where they were hiding, maybe underground, and they would meet together. They would encourage each other with these very words that we read today in comfort. They read when they were in fear. And yet it would bring them peace. It would bring confidence. It would spur them on that if they indeed had real faith, then they were going to keep working for the glory of God. And so the answer to this 
is what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? The answer is it is no good. It is no good. If you say that you have faith, but you have no works to follow up on that, then that faith is no good. Faith without works means this. It's truthful words followed by unfaithful action. Man, you can speak it and you speak it well. Man, you can tell people who Jesus is. You can walk them through the Bible. But then when it comes to your living, it does not match up to what you teach. Verses 15 and 16, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? I mean, when you think about this, what good would it be? That, and, and this is referring to the church. So first and foremost, when we're reading this, immediately we think about the needs of the lost, but we also need to remember the needs of the church. God puts us together to care for each other. It's genuine. Maybe you're not used to that. Maybe you've been in a local church before where everybody didn't know each other's name. Maybe it was a rather big place or it could have been a small, cold, stale place. But people weren't friendly there. You just came, you heard a message, and then you left. Maybe that's what you know of church. But it can be so much more. And that's why James is writing to the church. He's saying, hey, have fellowship with each other, love each other. And when you have a need, don't just go and say, oh, man, you're cold. Maybe you should go get a blanket. Oh, you're hungry? Maybe some food would help that. I mean, have you even thought about it before just belly aching about it? I mean, why don't you go take care of this, man? Hey, be blessed though. Be blessed. Catch you next Sunday. Is that, is that the type of love? Is that the type of fellowship we're to show? And this is heavily convicting right here. As I've studied this this week, and as you're hearing this now, it should pierce the heart. Immediately we should think, do I love the Christians that I'm around? Do I care for them? Do I hear about needs? And I go, oh man, I'll be praying for you. And then that's the last time you think about it. And maybe that's how our response is. Instead of saying, hey, be warmed and be filled. We just say, hey, I'll be praying for you. I'll be sure to pray for you this week. Wink, wink. And you say, no, that's more than that. Because you haven't helped that person. So is salvation repentance while minding your own business? Is that what salvation is? Hey, I've repented. I follow Christ, but I'm my own business. I don't, I don't get into the affairs of other people. It's just none of my business. I do what I need to do during the day. Please do not knock me off my schedule, off my routine. You knock me off my routine. You're going to see something that's really mean. Then you'll see the real me. You, you, you knock me off my routine. No, 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 don't, don't get me off my schedule. I've got it set. It's perfect. But see, if we're going to truly have faith that works, it means we're going to be inconvenienced often. There's going to be things that aren't just so pretty and neat. 1 John 3, 17 and 18 says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? How does that happen? How do, you, how do you say you love God, but a brother of yours that is, has the same testimony you do, that, man, we're saved by the grace of God. I am nothing. I am a nobody, but he adopted me into the family. He made me his son. He made me his child. I had nothing to offer him, and he has everything to offer to me. And you're in the same position, and they find themselves through hard times, and you go, man, I just... It's not my business. John says, how, how can you say that the love of God abides in you? 
Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You see, it's not enough just to speak it, to say we'll be there for each other, but that we'll actually follow through with it. And understand this about this faith that we're talking about. It's not just that people can't depend on you if you have a faith that doesn't work, but you can't depend on that type of dead faith. That type of dead faith is not reliable. So if you're saying you have faith, but there are no works that follow through to say that you indeed obey the word of God and that you wanna glorify God and that you love God and that you love people, and this is a blessing to you, and it's something that you desire to do. If that's absent, when you hear this message today, you ought to go, "Uh uh-oh, let me think about this. Have I just made a confession with my mouth, but nothing has happened in my heart? You see, a lot of times we put the heavy focus on the confession with the mouth. Hey, man, I prayed. I said I'm a Christian. But there's also a work of the heart that is mentioned in Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. That there's a true heart change. Is there a true heart change in you? Because if there's a true heart change, then you will have a faith that works. So what we see is that a faith that doesn't work is an unresponsive faith, meaning it's a dead faith. It has no pulse. Maybe the best witness to this are your children. Maybe if they were to honestly speak, could they say that you are indeed a follower of Jesus by the way you act in the home? Are you a follower of Jesus by the way you speak to your spouse? Are you a follower of Jesus at work based on the testimony of the people you work with? Not because you say that you're a Christian, but they say things like this. You know what? I knew you were a Christian. I knew it. Well, how did you know I was Christian? Just the way you treat people, just the way you view the day. I mean, you're honest. Yeah, you have struggles, but you know what, man? You just have such a a great outlook in in the way you encourage people around here. I knew it. Let that be what people say. May it not be that you have to say, hey, I'm a Christian, I promise. And they walk away going, well, man, you, you fooled me. You fooled me. But most importantly among the church, may we have a faith that's real. This is what Charles Spurgeon said about fruitless faith. This is a sermon of his in which he gives a a powerful analogy. He says, the tree has planted, has been planted out into the ground. Now the source of life to that tree is at the root, whether it has apples on it or not. The apples would not give it life, but the whole of the tree of, or the whole of the life of the tree will come from its root. But if that tree stands in the orchard and when the springtime comes, there is no bud. And when the summer comes, there is no leafing and no fruit bearing. But the next year and the next, it stands there without bud or blossom or leaf or fruit. You would say it is dead. And you are correct. It is dead. It is not that the leaves could have made it live but that the absence of the leaves is proof that it is dead. So too it is with the professor of the faith. If he has life, that life must give fruits. If not fruits, works. If his faith has a root, but if there be no works, then it would be correct to depend upon the inference 
that he is spiritually dead. And today, this is spiritually sobering for us to hear this and go, do I have fruit on the branches as we talked about last week? You see, where we get it wrong is when we go to James and you say, hey, you got to have fruit in order to have a real root. No, no, no. All of the apostles would agree. All of the writers of the Bible inspired by the Holy Spirit would agree. There is a root first through faith. And then because there is a true root, there will be fruit that is produced from the true root. Do you have a true root? Are you rooted in the goodness of God? Are you truly saved by God's goodness through the works of Jesus Christ? And from that, do you have fruit growing from that tree that is rooted in Christ? We used to sing this song at the end of almost every service growing up in a Baptist church. I have decided to follow Jesus. And the pastor would stand up front and he would preach his heart out. And then at the end, he would say, okay, now comes the time of invitation. And I know, I know that there's someone in here today who needs to repent and follow Christ. <coughs> I'd always be like, man, how does he know? Who is it? And so we'd begin to sing. And I know what do you do? We just keep singing until somebody would respond. I have decided to follow Jesus. I mean, just kind of go like that, you know. I have decided to follow Jesus. You begin to look around the room. Anybody? Anybody? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning. Oh, there's one right there. No turning back. No turning back. No, 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 it's not right there. All right, so at that point, you go, man, what we are singing, what we are proclaiming is that we are faithful and we're not turning back. But then you walk out the door and you be given opportunities to be faithful to Jesus. And many of the opportunities that we have to be faithful where we say, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back, is to love other people to love other people. And we say, I don't wanna have anything to do with other people. Then you're turning back. Many of the ways in which you decide to faithfully follow Jesus every day as a follower of Christ is this, that you love people. And it would go something like this. You go to a restaurant, a bunch of people after church, and they can tell you came from church because you're the best dressed people in the place. Or you brought your bulletin for 10% off you're there and you order a steak and the steak comes and you go, hey, my steak, order medium well. This, this is medium rare. It's mooing. There's the steak's mooing at me on the plate. This is how I ordered my steak. Hey, take this back. Bring me a steak that's good. Come on. What, what kind of service do you have going on in here? And inside that server's probably thinking something she or he shouldn't say, but they're probably thinking, well, excuse me, I thought you were a man. All men like their steaks medium rare. Come on, dandelion, let's go. I mean, wouldn't that be great if you just had a server who came back at you like that, but no, take, take, I'm so sorry, okay, I'll take it back. And, and then at the end, you, you wanna invite them to your church. If this is you, listen, if you go eat today and you're just in a bad mood for whatever reason and you treat your server bad, please do not leave a card that says Perimeter Road Baptist Church. <laughs> do not, okay? But we'll do that. Like I've been, let me just kind of go a little more in depth on this. I've been with pastors 
to sit down and have a meal in public, and I have wanted to crawl under the table because of how bad they've treated their server. It's embarrassing. I mean, well-respected men that you go and you sit there and they're demanding what they ought to be given. And boy, they get upset. Boy, if they don't cook your food right, you start down-talking the server. Who do you think you are? Just because you're paying doesn't mean that you have this dead work. You see Christians, they bring you out your steak. It's not how you want it. You could politely say, hey, do you mind if I get this warmed up? I'm, I'm, I may have misspoken. Maybe I did. I don't know. But I'd love for this to be warmed up. Thank you for all that you're doing. We appreciate you. You know, if you, if you cannot so behave properly at a table that when it comes time to eat your food and you can't ask the waitress, can I pray for you? Because there's guilt knowing that you treated her badly. You've done something wrong there. It's just one example among many. Look, there are many other ways in which I have seen the church act in a beautiful way. Just recently, someone walked out of here and, and, and somebody had a truck and, and the hood was popped open and, and they were saying, oh man, the truck's messed up. And I mean, right after that, somebody walks up and says, hey, can, can I take you somewhere? Can, can I take you where you need to be? I, we're here. We're, we will help you. I just want to say thank you for that. That's great. I mean, that, that is responding with good work. That is the church caring for each other because you can look at that and go, I do not have time for this. All right, call AAA. They're, they're pretty good, I hear. All right, see you later. But you, could, you could care for somebody. That's what we want to see when we say, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. It's, it's caring for the people who are around us and more and more we show our love and affection to God as we faithfully follow him. And so, many times we fail in this because we would rather be people who follow like this. We'd rather people hear about our faith by explaining what we know instead of revealing our faith by what we show. We'd rather just tell people than show them. And here's the argument in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So here's the division. Somebody would say, hey, man, my faith is in what I know. You don't want to have a debate with me. I will embarrass you with how much I know. That's what this person is saying. You can't tell me I don't have faith. I mean, you may have works. You may go do a lot of good things. That's awesome for you, but here's the type of faith I have. And James responds and says, man, that's a, that's a dead faith you're speaking of right there. You know, when Jesus gathered his disciples together and there were some Pharisees hanging around, this is what he said. Um, he was talking about the sheep and the goats. And he said, you know, at the day of judgment, they're going to be the sheep and they're, they're going to be the goats. And, and, and you're going to ask me, how do we know Jesus? How do we know? Here's the question. And here's the statement. Matthew 25, 35 through 40. For I was hungry and you gave me food. This is Jesus speaking to the righteous. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And in verse 38, he says, or, and then they continue on. And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you. 
in verse 40, and the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You know, as you were taking care of your brothers and sisters in the faith, as you were caring for the people around you, you were doing that to me. That's how much I love the church. You were taking care of my body. I'm the head, the church is the body. So as you're doing this, you are taking care of me. And then to the unrighteous, he will ask the same questions and he'll say, how do we know, Jesus? How do we know this was you? And he'll lay it out for them and he will cast them into an eternal lake of fire as the final judgment. That's a scary place to find yourself in judgment as a goat, thinking that, hey, you had it all right. When all the while you neglected Jesus. <coughs> Speaking of judgment, verse 19, he says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You see, here's what we learn from this. You can believe, but not have repentance. You can believe, but not have repentance. You can say you believe in God. You can say you love Jesus. You can say you believe in the Holy Spirit and not have true repentance, meaning that that faith is indeed dead. There are, there's no works to follow it up, nothing to give evidence. Tragically, hell will have its share of people who are monotheistic, who are Trinitarian, but lost. It is awfully important. It is vitally important that we study the scripture, that we study good doctrine. That, that, that does not discredit this, but it doesn't stop there. If it's all about what you store up here, but it's not being stored up here and shared out there, there is something wrong. Romans 6, 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There's a new life to walk once you are found in Christ. You see, living faith must produce faithful works. We also see this in Colossians 3, 5 through 10. Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. When you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. You hear that? Putting off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So what do we see with this being renewed in knowledge? It means there is a progression that is happening in the life of the follower of Jesus. Watchman Nee once said, sins must be treated progressively, one by one until all have been eliminated. One by one, it means you wake up the next day and say, man, yesterday was terrible. I don't want to commit that sin again. Lord, show me how ugly that sin is. So I will not desire it today, but I will desire you. You are lovely. You are holy. Help me in my unbelief where I desire sin before I desire you. And as we call out to him, we can trust that he reveals the beauty of his nature. And yet we see the ugliness of sin. And every day we keep praying and we keep progressively moving forward. 
I love this. You see, it's progression, not perfection. When we're talking about works, where we fail is we look at, hey, let me get my list out. Okay, let me start, like, let me see how I'm gonna do this week. I need to do all these things. I gotta have the 45 minute quiet time. I need to follow that up with uh, 15 to 30 minutes of prayer. Okay, I need to share the gospel with three people today. Uh, that is important. You haven't shared the gospel with three people in your life, just truth. All right, and then you keep making the list and going on. Don't go there. Don't start making the list. That's not what we're talking about today. That's not what James is pointing out. He's saying it's progression. It's moving forward. I can't remember the last time we had somebody come up here and say, I'm standing before you here today to say I rededicate my life. Because what is that? What is that? We can't find the word rededication there in the Bible. I'm sure some of you are going to begin searching and you're going to email me. Okay, it's all good. But we say, I want to rededicate, which means I had a beginning in Christ. I was following and then I fell and I want to go back to the beginning again and I want to start over. That's not what we're seeing. Why? Why? Because it wasn't perfect. Why? Because you had some ugly days in there. You said some ugly things. You did some nasty things in there. Yeah, you did. Especially if you came, became a Christian at a young age. Come on, teenage years. Man, that's a roller coaster. Man, it, it's, it's great some days, man. And then you get down here, man, it's nasty. But yet it continues on in life, man. There's, there's ups and downs, but there's a progression. And so instead of saying, hey, I want to come up here and, and rededicate my life before you, Paul just says, get up and keep running. I love that. Well, I'm coaching soccer right now. I got tricked into it. Man, we had too many kids sign up and the coach called me. He said, hey, man, I need another coach. I said, sure, man, I'll do it. I, I look forward to coaching. I like it. It's in my blood. And uh, so we... First day of practice, man, kids are playing soccer and already they've watched too much soccer on TV. I mean, they're lying all over the field. And I just don't like that, man. That's one thing I don't like about soccer. I'm like, get up, keep going. And so in the games, I find myself all the time. I'm like, a kid falls and I'm like, get up, get up, let's go. Come on, get up. And other kids falling. Oh, he's crying over here. Quit crying, get up, let's go. Are you really that hurt? No, you're not. Let's go, come on. And I'm thinking, these parents are probably thinking, man, I have no compassion towards their children. But the first thing I say when a kid falls down, unless it's a really hard lick, I'm like, get up. That's what Paul tells us in Scripture. Get up. Oh, I just struggle with this sin in my life. Or, oh, I'm just, I'm having such a tough time. Get up and go. Man, you're a tree. You're a righteous tree because of Christ. Bear fruit. That's what James is saying. Not perfection, progression, which leads to number two. Faith without works is useless. It's useless. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, when we get to verse 24, you go, uh-oh, you have some explaining to do. 
Because here we say that man it is by faith alone, but yet James is saying that you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Huge contradiction here, huge error here. And you may sit down with someone and have this conversation and say, hey, I can show you a contradiction in the Bible. And if not understood, you'll go, yeah, man, I think you're right. But hold with me just a second and we'll get to it. He says, you foolish person. If you believe that faith apart, all right, he says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? That foolish, that word foolish means empty. Don't be an empty person. Don't be one of empty faith. And then he uses an example. He uses first the righteousness of a patriarch, that being Abraham. Abraham believed God when God said he'd be the father of many nations, yet he didn't have children. That's kind of a problem if he's going to be the father of many nations. And so he goes about it on his own way with his own concubine, and God says, no, that's not what I had intended. Your wife, Sarah, she is going to have a child. In her old age, close to 100 years of age, she's going to have a child. Okay, so here comes Isaac, loves Isaac, loves him, nourishes, takes care of him, pours into his life. And when Isaac's about a teenager, maybe a little older even, God says, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. I want you to kill him. God, if I'm going to be the father of many nations, and this is my only son, you want me to kill him. Like, how does that work? You know what? He didn't go through all of that. He believed God. He believed God meaning he believed the word of God. God says, you're going to be a father of many nations, but I want you to kill your only son. So he believed God. So he takes his son, he saddles up the, the wood on to his son. He says, come on, let's go. They go up to the mountain. He puts his son on the altar. He's ready to kill his son. And God stops him, says, stop. What had been proven? That that work showed forth his real faith. When did Abraham believe God? Was it on the mountain? No, it was way earlier than that. 30 years had passed between Genesis 15 and Genesis 22. You see, his faith resulted in works. This was before the law, by the way. The law had not come into effect yet. And yet it's being highlighted that he had works that proved his faith. It was not that work which then gave him faith. Do you see that? Are we clear on that? And yet we can look to Abraham and go, wow, what faith? Yeah, God knew, God knew the faith in Abraham. It was by God's grace that Abraham even had faith in him. But yet when we see the faithfulness of Abraham, we go, oh, that, that's real faith right there. And that's what we're to be as a church as people who say we have faith, we are to have works that show forth that we have a real faith, to be an encouragement, to spur us on. When we see righteousness here, there are two righteousness. Uh, positional righteousness, which is our standing before God. That can only be in the works of Jesus. Listen clearly, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, know that you can never stand as a righteous person before God without Jesus. The only way that you can stand righteous before God is to trust in the works that Jesus did while he was here on this earth. That's the only way you can stand as a righteous person. The only way. 
That's a positional righteousness, which we as followers of Jesus that day or those many days when you say, I can't even find myself praying right now because I'm just having such a hard time. I'm so filled with guilt with my sin. You go, but you have a position of righteousness in Jesus. Man, get up, get going, be obedient, take joy. Christ did the good work, which leads you on to do a good work. But then there's practical righteousness, what we're just speaking of here. It's how we live before God. That's the righteousness that we see here with Abraham. It was counted to him as righteousness, not a positional righteousness in the work of Abraham, but a practical righteousness because he believed God already. He believed fully in what God was going to do. Abraham did not have a positional righteousness based on his own work. It was a practical righteousness. It's the same practical righteousness that we have as we have a positional righteousness in Jesus and then every day we have a living, active faith. Verse 22, faith was completed by his works. You say, "Uh uh-oh, now that's confusing too because his faith wasn't complete until he matched his end of the deal. You go 50, I go 50, come on. Your works get you there. No, that's that's not what he's pointing out here. This word completed means bring to maturity. The more you obey God, the more your faith increases. That's what he's saying. Martin Luther said this, oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good works incessantly. It does not ask whether good works are to be done, but before the question is asked, it has already done them and constantly doing them. That's one who has a completed faith. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So here's where we look at justification. Man is not justified by a dead faith alone. Justification, Paul addresses this in Romans 3.28 and in other places in Romans, that justification is the moment of believing in God. You are justified right there, trusting in the work of Jesus. Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. This is the word of God. God is not confused. He's not speaking out of both sides of his mouth. This is the word of God through Paul. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And then James comes and he addresses justification as the final justification. Not that something is lacking in the first justification, but to show to the church, to show to the world that indeed this faith that you have is real. God doesn't need to see your works in order to know that. He already knows. We need to see that in one another to encourage one another and spur one another on because you say, well, why would we even need that? Because here's the practice of the first century church. When they saw one person walking away, they went after them. They went after them. They didn't just say, oh, I guess I just went to another church. I mean, just pray for you. No, they went after them. They said, we're not seeing the fruit. What's going on? Come on, come back, come back. Let's go. Because the evidence is that they would keep going until the end. God didn't need to see this. The people needed to see this. James 2, 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. If we took that to mean the first justification, then you say God's speaking out of both sides of his mouth, but indeed he is not. This justification is so that when others see, they know that it's not by just you saying, but you are doing. 
So when it comes to a lost man, a man who does not have a relationship with Jesus, it indeed is the argument of faith versus works. And it is faith every time. Your works will not save you. It will not solidify you. It will not uh, bring up the rear of what was lacking in God's work. But when it comes to a saved man, it is faith and works. It is a faith that works. So for every Christian in this room, it's not enough just to say you have faith. But your works ought to be following. And you know what this should do? Instead of you making a list of all the things you need to do right now, you need to be asking the question, who am I not loving? And in what areas of my life am I not loving God? That's what we receive today. And see, Abraham was called a friend of God. He believed God and obeyed God. He wanted to be with God. The question is, are you a friend of God today? If you're in Jesus Christ, you are indeed a friend of God. Do you take joy in this friendship? And do you want to associate yourself with the things of God? How do you know if you are a friend of God? You confess that Jesus is Lord and you do. You faithfully follow There should be an examining of our lives ongoing to making sure that that good confession is indeed true in our lives. Not that we need to do perfect things in order to solidify what happened there, that yes, we believe in Jesus and here's the result. I'm getting back and I'm continuing on. That's evidence right there that you get up and you keep going. Today, maybe the most important thing you need to hear is get up and keep going. And so, We need to see that evidence. The church, we need to see that. You need to see that in me. I need to see that in you, okay? Listen, when I was a child, elementary school, my mom and I, we would uh, play this game every day going to school. We'd we'd step out of the house and we'd say, uh, it's uh, 58 degrees this morning. And so we'd hop in the car and on our way, every time we would pass the bank sign that would flash the time and then it would flash the temperature, time, Temperature, that's all it did. I mean, it's high tech, time, temperature. And, and so once we get to the red light, we, we, we'd look or we'd pass by the light and, and we'd look straight to the sign. We were looking to the sign for the answer. What's the temperature? And say so we'd say, hey, it's 58 degrees. We'd ride by the sign and boom, we'd flash up 58 degrees and be like, hi, I'm the winner. We got so good at this that we could guess it spot on or like one or two degrees off. I mean, I'm a prodigy. It is what it is, okay? But... How did we know? It wasn't enough for me to walk out of the house and say, it is 58 degrees today, bank on it. No, we have to ride by the bank, look at the sign and see that indeed it was 58 degrees. So where do we take this? In your life, it is not enough for you to say, hey, I am a Christian, bank on it. But no, people need to look into your life. They need to see the outworking of your life and see the evidence. And if that evidence is lacking, then there should be true accountability among us. Accountability that is not afraid to hurt someone's feelings in love to say, where is the evidence that you're speaking of? Where is it? I hope that's clear to you today that when James is speaking here, you say you have faith, okay, let's see your faith. We ought to encourage each other in this. Teachers in the room, when you hear this, this ought to be great accountability to you. And it also should have you think about the people in your class, those under your care. Do you really care for them? Whatever class you may be a part of here at Perimeter that you would care for each other. Who have you not seen lately? 
go after them. But here's what I love. You see, you say, hey man, you, you spoke of the righteousness of a patriarch. James pointed that out actually, that the righteousness of a patriarch, but then he also points out the righteousness of a prostitute. I don't know what background you have. You may not feel that you're that special to God and that it's worth the good fight day in and day out, but Rahab was a prostitute who played a, a big role. But you see, Abraham was the well-renowned. It was Rahab who was put down. And you have them on opposite spectrums here, as James points it out. And somewhere in between, maybe you find yourself, or maybe you, you're more like Rahab. You see yourself more like Rahab, or you see yourself more like Abraham, well-renowned or put down. But wherever you are on this, Christian, you are called to bear fruit and to know that you can produce good fruit and you should have a faith that indeed works. And so if we will just have a time of prayer, if you, if you wouldn't mind just bowing at this time and I just want to talk to you for a brief second. If just kind of taking what we've said today, do you have a faith that works? A living, active faith that you say, hey, I, I truly trust in Jesus, and yet there's evidence in my life. There is good fruit. Or do you find that maybe the tree is barren and that you've been playing games? If, if that's the case, would you repent before the Lord and get that right today? If there's certain sin, there's sin that has immediately come into your mind as we've been talking about this today, and you're saying that is indeed not good fruit. I need to repent of that. Would you repent of that right now? Just confess that before the Lord. Lord, help me to hate this sin. I find myself loving it or craving it. Help me to hate it. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, but you're, you're intrigued, you're, you're really interested, you're hearing these things and you're going, man, this sounds real interesting. I hope what you've heard today is that being a Christian is not being a hypocrite. What you've heard today is that a living faith produces real works and that we're called to be accountable to his word, which makes us look into our lives to make sure we're faithfully following to the Christian or to the non-Christian today, if, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, but yet you are finding yourself right now believing in what Christ did and that you could trust in his good work on the cross, would you repent? Would you confess your sin before a holy God that you've sinned against him? And would you put your trust in what Jesus did at the cross? See, repentance is seeking forgiveness and then walking with Christ. If that's your desire today, then walk with Christ. Be saved. Trust in Jesus. If that's you today, I'd, I'd love to follow up with you. I'd, I'd love to talk with you after the service or even as the service continues on. If, if you want to go ahead and come, we'll talk. Maybe you want to check on that card. I want to know more about following Christ. Then, then do that. I hope you wouldn't just flippantly put it away right now, but that you would really focus on this. Trust in Jesus. Father, thank you for our time together. May we have a faith that truly works. May we not just speak it, but may we live it. We thank you for your grace and your mercy upon our lives. 
may we rejoice in what we've heard today, not be burdened by it, not be heavy laden, but rejoice. May we lay whatever burden it is down, and may we walk in the freedom of Christ to go and bear good fruit. In Jesus' name, amen.